You are listening to Spoiler Free, the podcast for book recommendations and reviews for sci-fi fantasy. Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of Spoiler Free where we finally get our first book of the series. So today we're going to have a book recommendation and this book right here is a special one for me. So for many reasons and that's what we're going to be talking about today. So it's going to be split up into three sections. The first is details about the book. Uh, the second is why you. I think you're going to like the book. And the third part is why I think you might not like the book. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking not only about the pros but also the cons. So, you know, let's go. So the book that we have today is special, as I've said, for me. It's The Pawn of Prophecy by David and Leigh Eddings. So, actually, the wife of David Eddings, uh, Leigh Eddings, she wasn't credited until 1995 when the 11th book of this series, which is actually a spin-off, was published. So, oh, it's not a, it's not a spin-off. It's a prequel. So, it tells the past or something. But anyway... She was actually heavily involved in making the series, but she wasn't credited up until the 11th book, which is kind of unfair. But hey, at least she got the justice because the later uh, editions of the book has David and Leigh Eddings as the authors. So here we have Pawn of Prophecy by David and Leigh Eddings. The first book in a five-book series called The Bilgariad but actually it's a 10-book series. So the Bilgariad is the first five. And then we have the Malorian, which is the next five. But we're not going to be talking much about that. You know, just a bit of background about the book. Uh, what we're going to be talking about mostly is just Pawn of Prophecy. Why I think you're going to like this one. And I hope it's going to lead you to read the rest of the series. Okay, so The Pawn of Prophecy was published in 1982, uh, which is kind of old. Like, it's really old. Holy man. This is almost 40 years old. Oh my god, I'm, I'm old. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the, uh, the, all the books of the series kind of follow, uh, the, the titles of the book follow a sort of motif. So, it's a chess term plus a fantasy term. So right here in book one, we have Pawn of Prophecy. Uh, number two is Queen of Sorcery. Number three is... Uh, what's number three? Magici Magician's Gambit. There we go. And then so on and so forth up until the fifth book. The second set doesn't have those. So, But anyway, I think this, this is probably a reflection of one of the main motives in the series, which is... A kind of chess between two destinies and this is one of the uh, cool things about the series you know it's it approaches uh, or it the way it interprets destiny is different from how you would expect and I can't wait for you to discover how uh, David and Leigh Eddings interpret what uh, fantasy usually calls the prophecy or the destiny so the series is a bestseller. Actually, it's been a bestseller since the first book. It's gotten uh, a lot of accolades, accolades, accolades. Anyway, it's gotten a lot of awards for being good. And 
Um, later on, in a retrospect kind of review, Publishers Weekly commended the Bilgariad series as one of the founding mega sagas in modern English language fantasy. And I'm gonna talk more about why that is later on. So, okay, that's uh, I think that's all the relevant details about the book that you need for that you need to know for now. Let's go into why I like the book. Okay, so the reasons uh, on why I like the book and why I think you will like the book are numerous, but let's start with what I truly loved about this because this is the series that got me into high fantasy in the first place. It's not the book, it's not the first high fantasy book that I read. It was the book that convinced me to actually delve deep into the community and into the genre. So, Let's start. The first thing that I believe I need to mention are the characters. So the characters of this story are so memorable. They're so fleshed out. They're so consistent and so real uh, that I can almost see them. I can almost touch them. I feel like I feel like they're a memory, almost like a real person I met and actually came to know. Someone I talked to back a while ago, maybe a few years ago, and I'm just remembering bits of our conversation because they feel so real, you know? Some of my favorite characters in fiction are from this series, not because of the effects that the story has or how the story is any good. And actually, the story isn't really that good in terms of fantasy standards or in terms of the standards that I have right now. But it's because because of the quality of the characterization i feel like they deserve like a best of the best sort of spot or for at least some of the characters not all of them um of course you can't you can't expect every character to be, to be memorable there are some bland ones but some of my favorite characters in fiction are from this series and i think you really will like that specific someone i have i i bet you you will like that person because he's really nice <laughs> like not nice as in good nice he's a really nicely written character so yeah i think that's one of the main strengths of this book and a lot of david eddings and Leigh eddings's books their characters are so real the names aren't weird they actually fit and uh, I think the names are from Lay Eddings. I remember reading somewhere ago that uh, David Eddings mentioned that it was Lay who actually came up with the names, who, with these amazing names. So, you know, it's it's those little things that make a greater whole. Okay, yes, the characters, they're great people. If you're into characters, and I think I mentioned this earlier in or in the previous episode about how characters carry the weight of a series man these characters are hyper carrying the series because the story isn't that good the world building isn't that good but the characters man the characters are the crispy the one (laughs) the crispy uh skin of chicken joy or something you know the best of the best so if you like characters if you like flesh non one-dimensional characters if you like really good ones i think you're gonna like this one the second part, uh, which is which is really one of the reasons why I recommended this book is because remember when I said or what pe- what people say about sci-fi fantasy having these big thick books, highfalutin language and awfully complex stories with like a thousand cast of characters. 
the Pono prophecy ain't sort of okay so I'm going to be honest the prologue is some honest to god Chaucerian exposition BS in that it's eight pages of world building in pretentious language the the really hard words the really weird sentences but bear with me here okay so every single one of the five books in this series and actually also in Malorian all their prologue is going to have these weird kind of world building in old language like you're reading from an ancient book and I think that's what that's the effect that Eddings is trying to achieve but you know it's a hard read but please try to trudge through because Really, the rest of the writing is a rejection of J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, superfluous prose and I think is a pioneer in the kind of language that you now see in modern fantasy novels. So if uh, if you notice, in recent years, high fantasy has sort of swapped from old-sounding words to new-sounding words. I think maybe because you know of how society and language moves along. But also, it's reflected here, like, how that how that shift uh the transition can be seen in this book because the reading is like 10th grade maybe less um it's it's really readable it's not jrr tolkien style where he goes on to describe a tree for two paragraphs no 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 we don't we don't do that here and yeah so the setting is also not as complex and as what you'd expect it's simple in a sense that everybody is sort of stereotyped. The Sendarians are this kind of people. They're sober. They're good. That the uh, Cheriks are these Viking-like people. It's it's weird stereotyping uh, of an entire race of people, an entire country. But I think part of the contradiction here is when you meet them, Edding starts to work his magic on their characterization and then the stereotype sort of falls out and then you start to see depth into these people so it's it's actually a contradictory point that i'm not sure how i should feel about but i'm gonna i think i'm gonna talk about this more in the cons but for now it's a simple setting that's all you need to know it's a simple setting so don't be afraid of some really complex world building or some really like a lot of things to remember a lot of words a lot of really weird made up words about places and objects and cultural significance stuff like that and then let's go to the third part so i promised i'm gonna talk about magic a lot in this show and yes, I will talk about magic now. Uh, going with the theme of simplicity, the magic is very, very simple. Like legit, one of the simplest I've encountered. And this magic system literally only has one rule. Like, I'll leave, uh, I'll let you find out what that rule is because I think it spoils part of the story. But it's really simple. Like, it's a three-step process. The magic is a three-step process. And also, uh, um, a, a kind of point here is it's a low magic series. For, for, a, for a world that's filled with sorcerers, it's actually a low magic series. Or at least in my, in my experience rereading the book, the first book is low magic. You don't, you don't see a lot of magic. So if you're a fan of low magic books, this one is the one for you. The magic ramps up 
later on in the books because you know they they start getting into the more important parts of the world but in the first book it's not really that pivotal it's more of a typical um it's, it reads like a history book an account of what happened say in the medieval times or something but with modern prose you know, the whole series kind of feels like going to a high fantasy vendo machine. Yeah, here, this is the metaphor. So it's like going to a vendo machine, you know? So you put your coins in and then you press easy mode and then uh, out comes out this book, Pawn of Prophecy. Yes, this is the easy mode, the entry level version of high fantasy. And um, I talk about I talk, I'm talking a lot about how simple it is, and this is definitely a flaw, but in a different context. If you're new to high fantasy, this is definitely a good thing for you. Next point that I'd like to make is that the book is very relatable for adolescents and for those who like coming-of-age stories. This is essentially one because it's a story about Garion, about him finding his place in the world, about trying to find meaning and why his peaceful village or his peaceful farm life has been uprooted by some mysterious thing uh, that, that happened to him. So he's out in the world now instead of in his farm, enjoying his life with his friends. It's a coming-of-age story and... Uh, when I was reading this for the first time, I felt I felt a connection uh, with Garion because it's it's a really um, relatable book for adolescents. Your uh, David Eddings, David and Leigh Eddings talk about a lot about the growing pains of being old enough to not be considered a child, but not old enough to be considered an adult. You know that in between stage that. That annoying stage that I've been in. I, obviously, I'm 22 now. I don't get that anymore. But back then, it was really, it was really straight to the heart. You know, it it moved me. Wow. <laughs> I read this book when I was like 10. Okay, so don't don't <laughs> don't expect too much uh, maturity from my old self. So, um. Now we've talked about why I like this book and why I think you might like this book. Let's talk about what I did not like about this book and why you might not like to read this book. So I talked about characterization earlier, about how David Eddings is a master at making these uh, real-seeming characters. But I think a part of the problem is that his biases sort of seep into these characters so i'm gonna try and explain it in a way that um you can understand or like how i can relate i can convey my feelings on the matter so you know how when an idea is formed when a revolutionary idea that struggles against the societal norm begins to gain traction so it's it's something new it's something that challenges the status quo and the first acts of challenge, the first actions that come out of that idea are always awkward or they're always not fully thought out. They're like lashing out kind of actions. And a lot of those actions, a lot of those changes that they try to implement are still stained with the biases of the old paradigm. So 
it's an awkward crawl throughout an idealized goal and i think that's what's happening with what what how what david and lay eddings wrote so david eddings and lay eddings sought to write a fantasy epic that modernizes the old cliches that revitalized the tired old tropes that empowered women actually i wanted to say marginalized groups but really all i could remember was his focus on women empowerment but in the end the bulgariad became a weird mix of old social injustices and a very tender and heartwarming support for feminism because okay let's he has his his racial biases i think sort of seep into the book a little bit and if you want if you want me to expound on that it's basically the heroic west and the villainous east yeah it's it's basically that it's white savior complex in a weird book this um it's a it's a bit difficult to explain and it's not that it's not as bad as i tried to make it seem but it's there and i'm just trying to warn uh readers to read and discern the ideas that you want to be able to adapt or you want to support and then filter out the ideas that you don't want to support okay so you know reading comprehension is also a huge part of reading a book and i think that you should try this is a good opportunity to try and train yourself in it uh i don't want to go too much into this because i think that deserves an entry in the book review section not the book recommendation section so let's go to the next point the next point uh why you might not like to read this book is that the story is simple Yes, I said that earlier. The story is simple, which is good if you're new to high fantasy, but it's not good if you're a veteran or a middling one or someone with experience in the genre. The story is simple. It's the hero's journey tossed into the modern world boutique and given a pretty makeover. It's pretty, it's neat, but it's hardly revolutionary. In terms, uh, or if you want me to express or explain what I mean by simple, so you're gonna be unimpressed with the world building and the complexity. So this is for you uh, seasoned high fantasy and sci-fi readers. You're gonna be unimpressed, especially if you compare it to its contemporaries, like The Wheel of Time. That, that, man, The Wheel of Time is really complex, and it's a great example of a really good uh, world building or you know the modern giants like the stormlight archive by brandon sanderson the wheel of time is by robert jordan and uh it it just falls short the bulgaria just falls short because it's simple you know what might be good for a beginner is not gonna be good for someone with more experience and finally i think you're not gonna like this book if you are looking for a story that is heavy that is dark or that has um huge moral inner conflicts you know so like a lot more than just a battle between good and evil with a few unique ideas tossed into it you're not gonna like this one this one is simple this one is short this one is sweet it's a really good snack that you're gonna get if you're experienced but 
again, tying back to what I said earlier, this is gonna be that's a good thing for everyone who is still new to high fantasy. Okay, so to summarize what I've said, what I'm trying to see here is that The Pawn of Prophecy is an entry-level book that not only gives you a good start to the genre, but with all its flaws, with all the ideas, the landmines that are planted into it, it's also a good context on what the sci-fi fantasy community was like back then and how far we've come today in terms of progress, in terms of inclusion, in terms of diversity. This book is kind of like the millennial generation of books, the generation stuck between the old and the new, a transition and a progress. I have this lingering feeling that my personal bias weighs in heavily when recommending this book. I don't know, I feel like there's so much merit to the books that they deserve to be read and recommended as a first-timer, but at the same time, reflecting on its flaws and on its uh, its stances on race and gender, it leaves not really a sour taste on my mouth, but it leaves a question. Am I supporting the author's views by recommending this book? Tell me your thoughts about this in the comments, and uh, in the meantime, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and see you guys again this week. Next week. (laughs) Yes, see you guys again next week. Thank you for listening to Spoiler Free, the podcast for book recommendations and reviews for sci-fi fantasy.